a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Ahoy, Rebels and Imperials. Welcome back to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. As always, are Matt and Liz. We are here to talk about episodes three and four of The Mandalorian Season 3. So, uh, for those that have forgotten what happened two weeks ago, we talked about the first two episodes of this season, and we all felt a little bit underwhelmed by them. We felt like there was maybe an episode's worth of content stretched out across two episodes. The first episode felt very much like a recap. And since then, we have had two very different episodes of The Mandalorian, both of which featured time on Coruscant, which is an interesting way to sort of tie these two episodes together. Um, I I feel like last time we started with a general feeling, but I feel like with this one, we kind of have to go episode by episode because each episode is so different. Um, So in episode three, which is um, named The Convert, It begins with Bo-Katan and Din uh, still on Mandalore, and they are uh, basically re, you know, getting themselves together to go their their separate ways. But then those darned space pirates from Episode One catch up with Din. I think it was Episode One, yeah, and um, they destroy Bo-Katan's palace, and uh, that the two of them escape. And that is where the episode sort of pauses. And then we get uh, the better part of 40 minutes with Dr. Pershing, which if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, it doesn't surprise me. He was this sort of bookish doctor working with Werner Herzog in season one to figure out Grogu's um, genetic makeup and all of that, supposedly to clone him if the rumors are to be believed. Um, and we get a whole sort of story about him, uh, beginning, middle, and end to a Dr. Pershing story, and then it comes back at the end, and it sees Din and Bo-Katan show up with the Mandalorian cult that um, Din is a part of, and we see that there is there is possibly a place for Bo-Katan in this um, in this area, in this in this new cult religion thing um so i i, I want to talk about each of those segments separately let's start with talking about the um let's talk about which part i talk about the let's talk about the uh the dr pershing part first because that that has a little bit more of a uh a sort of shape to it that doesn't connect to the other stuff just yet so liz i want to start with you what did you think of the dr pershing story that we were told um, I, I guess to start with, I'd say it, it had a bit of a, a dystopian feel to it, which felt newish to me for for Star Wars um, in a way that I perhaps the New Republic um, wasn't... Um, 
I, maybe I'm trying to think of the best phrase. I don't know. Uh, doing everything right. Um, and even just, I don't know, the, the robot. Nope. The droid. I don't know. Was it a robot? Was it a droid that Dr. Purging was talking to? Also having, uh, you know, a hard time finding a therapist, I guess. <laughs> um, We've all been there. The insurance is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I, the whole mood of it felt uh, very different. I mean, obviously for I, the episode for the Mandalorian and I, I felt like kind of for Star Wars as a whole um I I, I liked maybe I, I liked the story itself um I, I don't know if I liked the placement necessarily um I don't know I, I feel like so it, it felt disjointed mm-hmm. um and I'm mm-hmm. not sure how the pacing of the season feels overall um, but again, I think I need to watch the entire season to make a, um, <clears throat> to, to decide how I feel about all of that, perhaps. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I, I think the, the disjointed part is what is, what sticks out a lot. Um, in, again, they Right, Disney writes these, Disney produces these, Disney is in charge of putting these out. The fact that like the Mandalorian in 40 minutes did more to explain the first order than the sequel trilogy did um was very impressive and I liked that. But why is it in the middle of the Mandalorian season 3? And the same reason why was the heavy lifting of Mandalorian season two done in Book of Boba Fett? It's just as weird these random spots that these stories just crop up. If you didn't want to have separate series, then don't have separate series. Just sure. make it Star Wars of the week. Like Star Trek just had Star Trek and told all sorts of stories. Like just make it Star Wars then. I don't know. Um, but I really liked the story itself. I thought it really brought into focus the New Republic in a way we had never, ever seen. And got us to see the First Order a little bit clearer um, in a way that we hadn't seen since, I want to say season, that'd be season two, um, with like the devotees of... Uh, Gideon Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed that Um, and I love the fact that they continue with these episode titles that could be any number of characters in the episode I feel like that that is maybe some of the best Star Wars writing that we've seen um, (laughs) in a long time yeah clever clever yeah so I I have similar thoughts to you guys I feel like on one hand if Disney is, if they're seeing their television landscape, especially their live action television landscape, if they're seeing that as one big story, then I don't really mind having those stories cross over a little bit. So, like, for instance, if the Book of Boba Fett wanted to have Din Djarin as part of it, I would have had no problem with that. The issue that I had with that was that it reunited Din and Grogu, potentially the most important thing to happen 
in season three, which is still in progress. But that would have been the biggest moment of season three, and it mm-hmm. was done in the middle of his other show. Similar to this, like I think that the story of between well, – let me slightly rephrase that. The Clone Wars and Rebels did so much to rehabilitate the prequel trilogy because it got us a path from the movies that everyone loved to the movies that people didn't love so much, and it gave you new context and a better understanding of those movies. I think that the the point of these movies, of these shows rather, is to sort of build the bridge between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so the building of the First Order, Dr. Pershing, Moff Gideon, all of those things have a place in this story. And I suppose there's no better place yet for that to be told than in The Mandalorian. My issue with it is I think that the story would have had so much more impact if it had been done as a piece of three or four episodes. Here's why I think that. I think that for Dr. Pershing, Dr. Pershing was always presented as a um, like a Nazi with a heart of gold. Like he <laughs> he was clearly not trying to hurt Grogu when we saw him in the past. So it's a character mm-hmm. we we already had a little bit of sympathy for, but I think if the first time we saw him in this season was him like giving that speech in front of the people and then maybe showing him meeting up with the people in uh, his like housing block or whatever the first time, that would have given us a nice introduction to this version of the character and we could have felt more sympathy for him so that when we see him. Um, get like mind wiped at the end of the episode there would have been a lot more I think emotion to that if we had a month's worth of thinking about that character versus mm-hmm. 40 minutes of thinking about that character I don't even know how I would have cut anything from those from that 40 minutes I just think I would have had 10 minutes an episode for four episodes and the way we're going right now it's not like that story needed to be done super quickly we've had four episodes now we could have had yeah. 10 minutes of those in each of these episodes, and it's not, nothing would have had to be displaced for that. Um, I don't know. Do you guys agree that it would have been more effective over time or no? I think especially if you're trying to show a a character wrestling with kind of morality or what he thinks morality is um, in this idea of the purity of science um, – versus the suffering of people and seeing how it plays right into the hands of um I do not remember her name the rebel leader from Ant-Man uh, um, oh um <laughs> uh, I know who you mean yeah but how she is able to use that uh to their advantage um but we don't we see that manipulation happen over you know 40 minutes in one sitting as opposed to a slow build which i think would have been much more effective as well yeah i agree liz what do you think yeah. about that yeah no i i tend to agree um i i think there's definitely room in the episodes that we've had to continue that story 
And I, you know, I think Dr. Pershing is struggling with, you know, that idea of this temptation to continue his uh, research. Um, and he, it seems like he's trying to fool himself into the idea that he's doing this for the greater good. And there are some of these smaller elements um, of temptation that they include in the episode, like those, uh, I don't know what those were, they biscuits or cookies and all these mm-hmm. other things yeah. that I feel like they could have expanded upon then too, um, if it was a storyline that was continued. And I, I feel like just the format of a TV show lends itself more to not having that large chunk in the middle of one episode, but maybe having that secondary storyline across a few different episodes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and typically I'm actually, I'm often in favor of the bottle episode, right? The episode that just exists on its own, mm-hmm. where it doesn't, it, it sort of wraps up all of its stuff. I'm typically in favor of that. But this just feels like a, a situation where that that is not the best way to present it. Um Especially because I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Who was someone's going to there? I was just going to say I do think it made the um, Din and um, I, Bo storyline more exciting for me, but I, I I don't think it served itself as well. Was that yeah. because well, you had to wait to get to it? Part, yeah. <laughs> was it just the anticipation of getting back to it, Liz? I, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because it was much shorter. Or what it was, but I thought that storyline was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's wild that in an episode that was 40 minutes of this other story still brought us further in our overall story than the full two episodes beforehand did. Yes. Like the eight minutes of on screen, awesome dog fight, and then, um, you know, trying to understand the inner workings of this cult. Um, really, really introduced us to a lot more than we saw in episode one or two. Yeah. Um, I did want to say just one more thing about the Doctor Pershing stuff, which is is going off of something Matt said, which is about you know sort of introducing us to how the First Order came about. You know, we saw what's so interesting about the Force Awakens when you watch the Force Awakens now. It becomes clear that there weren't a lot of answers for things that we just presumed there were answers for. Like, for instance, we know that Leia is the leader of the Resistance, but we—that's not the same as the um, the New Republic. That's like the militant wing of the New Republic, people who are operating sort of outside, like the law of of good diplomacy or whatever it is. And I always thought, like, oh, we'll get an explanation as sort of why that exists, and we never get that explanation. Mm-hmm. But the only thing we can sort of glean from that movie and those stories is that the New Republic became ineffectual pretty quickly and fell back on some of the bad habits of the Empire pretty quickly, or at least of the Old Republic pretty quickly. And yeah, seeing... then they're oh sorry. No, go, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was like, they were you reading I, I didn't know this, and even from the episode didn't really glean this, but from reading the aftermath tri- trilogy, um or is it a trilogy or it just a, a it is a trilogy, book? yes. It's a trilogy. Okay. Yeah. Um why wouldn't it be? The <laughs> uh, but like the demilitarization of the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, we see that in the destroying of all of these ships, the eliminating of all this information. Um, 
but I, I didn't really get that from watching the episode. I learned that, um, like reading stuff afterwards, was like, oh, okay, this is all f- kind of fitting in. Um, I wonder if it's going to be something of where we have now this ultra military Mandalorian faction and this demilitarized Republic, but we know that you know that doesn't end up tipping the scales against the First Order. So it's a whole, who knows? Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things about those Aftermath novels is that like, like Mon Mothma is one of the major characters in those books. And you see her struggle with the idea of what this New Republic is versus sort of what she wants or wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what's hard about that, though, is that like... <sighs> It to me it was seeing they them give these these folks who were former Imperials giving them just identification numbers just felt so cruel so quickly. Like the fact that they, they are not the amnesty folks are not called by their names, but called by like, you know, C two four three four whatever it was, mm-hmm. that seems ultra cold and ultra unlike the people, like the people who we know who founded the rebellion, don't seem like the people who would just give people numbers instead of names. Mm-hmm. It seems like things got very out of control very quickly with the New Republic and led to some extreme um, dehumanization. Which just again, I think there's a lot to explore there, and I think not giving us time to sit with that really hurt the episode. Yeah, and I think one of the most important scenes in this episode and maybe explaining a lot of things in Star Wars was that scene where um, Pershing's coming out of the um, erotic opera house now turned into um, TED Talk stage. Um, And the people out, the moneyed people out there really very nail on the head, not having any differentiation between empire old republic a uh, you know new republic um it's all the same to them and it's the same thing we see on kanto bite is that these differences mean a lot to us as like the viewers but to a lot of people in the galaxy it doesn't really matter who's in charge right it's just a lot of fighting over nothing when you have money it doesn't matter yeah yeah like in a as they say in Firefly, the world keeps turning, but it only matters to the people on the rim. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. All right, well, let's talk about the Bo-Katan and um, Din part of the story. Liz, you said you love this part. Tell us why. Uh, well, I, I just liked the opening sequence. Um, I like some uh, TIE fighters. I like that uh, sound effect. And I, I feel like just the story itself was unexpected. I did not at all expect... Bo to join Din and his crew of Mandalorians based on her derision of um, their beliefs, uh, how she talked about them, how she mm-hmm. poked fun at him. And I, I feel like that was just not a way in which I saw this story going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like it brought up a lot of interesting questions just in terms of, you know, her character. She's someone that is alone and is looking for perhaps a group, a family, 
Um, you know, all of her followers have left her. Um, and I, I know we've called, you know, Din's group, uh, maybe perhaps a bit cultish and that is when people do tend to join cults. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I thought that was interesting after the episode, I was wondering, you know, what, what she would decide. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that she hadn't said anything about the Mythosaur to, to Din as well. So I guess when we talk about the next episode, uh, mm-hmm. we can talk about that too. Matt, what did you take, think of her join of her, like at least temporarily joining Din's group. I mean, I I think she also wasn't exactly prepared for it. Um, but just the the it's got to be overwhelming to be someone alone for so long um then be accepted into this group so willingly. Because the last time she was deeply involved with the girl, I mean, the last two times didn't, last three times didn't go well. One time her uh, her group got taken over by Darth Maul. Uh, another time she got overthrown as leader. And then the newest time, all of her followers walked away because she didn't hold the sword anymore. Right. So she's only had people walk away from her to see people embrace her. I... I don't know if I'd know how to react to that either. I, I so also I, I think she she's in a weird position. Um and like very rarely happens in Star Wars, it feels very relatable and understandable. Yeah. Um, you know, without without diving too deep into my personal past here, I know lots of people who have been a part of some I, I would never say anyone I know was in a cult. I would say lots of people I know went very deep into one thing or another. And um, there's a commonality between all these people when talking to me about their experience. And they always use the, the same words that instantly made me suspicious. But I understand what they mean. And they said that there is a freedom in conformity. And what they mean by that is when you don't have to decide what's the way I should think about this? How should I handle this situation? When that is all laid out in front of you from somebody bigger than you, it is very, very easy to relax a little bit because the onus of responsibility has been shifted. And so Mm -hmm. you don't have to decide how you feel about any issue or any situation. There is a prescribed way that you feel and you do these things. And when you do those things... You just do them. There's no debate. There's no struggle. It's just the the group says we do this, and we do this. And when you see Bo-Katan sitting on her throne in an empty planet on an empty moon, she has, she has had to make all these decisions that ultimately have led her no place. It has to be re- a bit of a relief to be able to just say, you know what? I'm just a cog in this wheel for a while. Mm-hmm. Not only that, and this moves us into this week's episode, we see that Bo-Katan is maybe easily the most accomplished person in this group. <laughs> and so, like, she is... She Leaps is, and bounds. <laughs> yeah. So she is not just, like, hopping into this group where she is uh, just rank-and-file member. Like, they 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 think that she is the bee's knees 
they are so excited that she's there because she is somebody who can do something about the problems that they're encountering, <laughs> right? And they're just not used to that. And so not only does she find a home there, she, I mean, she's, you know, she, she she's able to track the beast, which is something that no one's been able to do before. She's, mm-hmm. She comes up with a plan to handle it. She's put in charge of that plan. She's instantly given respect, like even just when she's going to go off to eat and they're like, oh, no, you're the leader. You stay here. Like she mm-hmm. gets respect before she even does anything to really earn it. Then not only does she earn the respect of the people, she she succeeds in this like huge way. She has a, a conversation with the armorer that feels like it's two peers talking, not a not the noob and the sort of boss. Like, Mm -hmm. she goes from outsider to key member instantaneously. And like you said, Matt, that's got to be pretty... First of all, that's got to feel pretty great from her perspective, but it's Mm -hmm. also pretty understandable why you'd stick around, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not shocking. It's not shocking why Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. Right, exactly. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah. <laughs> if your whole life can be slaves doing shit for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I get it. Um, Liz, does that ring true to you, her characterization here? It it does, yeah. Um, I, you know, all of those things, I, I think, you know, noteworthy were when they were going to eat. And you mentioned, you know, she got to stay by the fire. And all these things are just like, unquestioned they immediately give Bo this respect she's immediately accepted and it it seems to be the kind of respect they give to everyone in the group I mean the plan is to go rescue a foundling and everyone's risking their lives to do that and I'm sure she gets the impression that all of those people would do that for anyone any member of the group so that's you know that that has to be you know in enticing in some way um yeah and i i was I, again surprised that Bo mentioned the mythosaur to the armorer because she seems you know reticent to say anything to din at all i didn't think she would say anything to anyone and i i did think the armorer's response was interesting i felt like Bo wanted a more concrete answer i wasn't sure exactly how to read that i feel like Bo probably knows what she wants. I, and again, I don't know if that was intentional on the part of the armorer as well. I feel like she's framed a bit as sort of a, um, you know, wise older figure. Um, but I, I liked that she said something to her about it mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, seeked her counsel in some way. Yeah, it, it is interesting that she chose the armorer as the person to reveal that to. But I wonder if part of that is because she senses that the armorer has an understanding of Mandalore and Mandalorian culture that is, if not equal to hers, maybe similar to hers, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, I, I think we can all establish that Din doesn't know shit, right? Like, Din, <laughs> well, yeah. Din maybe thinks he does, but Din does not have the greatest understanding of all of that. So I can understand in a way why she wouldn't go to Din with that right away. But she and Din obviously have a connection that is deeper than hers with the armorer. But I, I do find the armorer's reaction very, very interesting, mm-hmm. which is that she she doesn't quite dismiss her and say, like, good for you. 
but she doesn't not do that either. Mm-hmm. Like there <laughs> yeah. is this sense that she maybe doesn't believe that what Bo-Katan saw is actually real, that it's a vision or something else. And so my question there is, do we think what Bo-Katan saw is real? Because I, I, my interpretation of this is that she absolutely saw the mythosaur. Yeah. 100%, yes. I think, I think so as well. And I think we are leading up to where I had thought we might be going um, uh, with her bringing back the three bird beast things. Uh-huh. Um, we see Mandalorian culture in general, and we see it with Boba Fett specifically. The idea of taming beasts is a big piece of Mandalorian lore, mm-hmm. and her ability to tame a mythosaur would make her the Mandalore sword or not. And right. I, I, I think her taking the mantle of uh, the mythosaur is we're we're edging towards that which would be something completely awesome yeah i mean i i think that that's absolutely where her story is going my question is will she be able to develop enough goodwill with this cult that if she becomes the mandalore and she is leading all the mandalorians you know sort of in total is there enough goodwill there that they would put up with her not being a truly devout, in their eyes, Mandalorian? Or are they so extreme that they're they're going to reject anything that isn't their way? Because I I I kind of see that as the reality. For yeah, them. I I do too. But I also wonder. Yeah, because some of this too is somebody coming from like old Star Wars, where the Mandalorians are in general right now, is much closer to the um, expanded universe Mandalorians, where it wasn't as much of, you know, samurai houses as much as, you know, people taking on this mantle and being a Mandalorian um, rather than being born of House Vizsla um, type thing. So I wonder if her embracing this idea of the Mandalorians as a clan that is able to bring in others and find strength in the way versus the royal bloodlines, I I think she may embrace that. Yeah. Because clearly, clearly the bond of blood hasn't done much of anything for her. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. I, I also yeah. wonder if like, so for instance, I, I, I keep putting things back in like a, a Judeo Christian mindset because that's just the mindset in which, you know, I reside in terms of both the culture and my personal experiences. But like, so there are all these different branches of Christianity, of Judaism, of Islam, right? There's all these different understandings of it. And all of them believe that they have the interpretation correct. But if, let's go with Christianity for a second, if Christ returned tomorrow and said the Methodists have it right, wouldn't everyone just fall in line with the Methodists? Like, wouldn't, isn't there a certain level of authority that would come where you would just have to abandon your personal 
experience and beliefs and go with what the person is saying, the man, the god, whatever. And so if Bo-Katan can establish herself as the Mandalore, do you think that other people would respect that that position enough to amend their beliefs? Or, or are they so entrenched that it almost doesn't matter what, quote, the truth is? Uh, I keep thinking about, I don't know, I keep thinking about just maybe in terms of, I'm not sure what I think, but I keep thinking about Grogu and how he is not yet old enough to wear a helmet and he hasn't made that, what is it? Um, it's not pledge, what do the they oath. call it? The oath, I believe. The oath, yet. And he's not entrenched in that yet himself. Um, and I, I mean, Din is, but he has taken his helmet off before. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like Grogu is when Din and Bo come back after their mission in this episode. Grogu seems to be looking at least the way the shot is framed for both Din and Bo. Um, so I, I don't know. I I don't know if there will be some sort of, you know, break or if they'll everything will match with all the Mandalorians together. Um I just feel like Rogu is such an important character as well. Um I'm not sure. Yeah. It'd be funny if Rogu could never take the oath because he talks the way Yoda talks. And like <laughs> yeah. he can't get the words in the, the right order. And they're like, I'm sorry, yeah. there there are rules here that the oath has to be this way, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you clearly don't have the mental capacity to uh <laughs> yeah. take the oath. <laughs> yeah. Um I do want to talk a little bit about the the rescue of the foundling because I thought that that was first of all for a show that early on had a lot of action sequences the this season so far really only has a couple and both of them that I guess they had they had the dogfight in space but aside from that one or the dogfight on the the moon of Mandalore mm-hmm. but aside from that the the two sort of main action pieces have been with this crew, right? We saw in the beginning this the foundling that gets taken, we see him taking the oath and then attacked by um by that sea creature. And mm-hmm. then we see this this attack here. I thought that both scenes were pretty well done. And one of the things that I liked about them, and again, this is just the way I, I tend to like my not just my Star Wars stories, maybe my stories in general. I like when not everybody is presented as being preternaturally gifted at everything. And like mm-hmm. you see some of these fighters are not very good with their jetpacks. And you uh, see Yeah, and none of them. They're all terrible. <laughs> and that just gets you in. It's like, man, he always eats them. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I did like yeah. that um, Din got to shine. I feel like Bo's been so strong that at least Din got the rescue here because he's been pretty, uh, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty terrible the past few episodes. <laughs> that is true. Yes, um, and and I think that there is something that hopefully the rest of this clan can glean from Bo and Din both being relatively new to this group. And having like no qualms about going all in for this foundling. 
Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think that both Bo is taken by how much she's accepted instantly. But I have to think that the others are taken by how much she and Din go all in also. There is, I would imagine, mutual respect between both of those groups. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, I, I found these episodes very interesting and much better than the first two episodes of the season. Yes. Even if I still think that there's maybe some pacing issues, especially with episode three, I, I just think this is a, we at least have new things to talk about. At the end of the, we knew from the appearance from the appearance in the book of Boba Fett of the Armorer that we know there is a there's going there was going to be this path of Din going to Mandalore to bathe in the waters, mm-hmm. and by the end of the second episode, all we know is that he did the thing he said he was going to do in Boba Fett. Like there was nothing else <laughs> yeah. was really accomplished at all. See, but season wrap. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm just glad. First of all, I'm very glad that the whole that the whole season wasn't that story. Mm-hmm. I'm very glad the episode didn't that the se- episode eight didn't end with them like in the in the caves under Mandalore. I, I, thank mm-hmm. God that happened in the second episode. But um, I just feel like for the first time this season, I both have an idea of what the path forward is, but also have. A very, I mean, I, I could see like four or five different paths forward here. You know, I, I think Bo-Katan could remain with this group for the rest of the season. I could also see that blowing up next week. Mm-hmm. I could see, um, you know, I, I know we're going to have to get back to, um, uh, we, we had to get back to, uh, grief Karga at some point, right? Like. They're not going to go a whole season with one appearance of Carl Weathers, even though Carl Weathers was, um, you know, was did, had directed this past episode. We're going to see. I did notice that. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> uh, you know, so I feel like there is a, um, there is definitely going to be more of that. I would be shocked if we don't get more of the IG Eleven stuff since that was set up in the first episode. Um, I'd be shocked if we don't get some sort of connection to one of the other characters from Rebels this season. Mm-hmm. But we yeah, we 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 have to have an a uh, a um an assemble a crew episode. Yes. Like that's what the Mandalorian thrives off of putting together a crew. Yes. And I I feel like the crew is going to involve this clan. Mhm. I do. Yeah. yeah. Maybe so I, maybe we'll learn more than one of their names. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that one of them is Vizsla. Yeah, well, whatever his name Vizsla is, which would make him cousins maybe of Bo-Katan? Well, so apparently this guy is the son of the character that Favreau voiced in Clone Wars. Okay, which I think is Bo-Katan's I think it is Bo-Katan's either uncle or cousin. So they're related in some fashion. Yeah. I mean, uh, aren't they also uh, sort of always – aren't they also all related? Like, isn't this sort of like uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone's yeah, a cousin yeah. of everyone else a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, but, yeah. So 
I am interested to see where the rest of the season goes. We have any now that we're halfway through this season, which seems crazy. Also, mm-hmm. uh, do we have any sort of uh, big guesses or uh, theories we want to share before we wrap up today for how this for how the season's going to wrap up? I mean, again, the way the writing is going, season. I mean, episode seven out of it's eight, right? Yes. Episode seven is going to be a full Ahsoka episode that has nothing <laughs> right. to do with the series to introduce us into her arc moving forward. Like we reintroduce, um, man, what is his name? It's not Gus. What? <laughs> it's Moff uh, Gideon. Moff Gideon just to bring in Ahsoka and then be like, keep watching on this new season. See, there, I, that I, is likely to happen. I kind of feel like we're going to see, uh, Tarkin, I'm not not Tar- not Tarkin Thrawn. I think we're Thrawn? gonna see Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. He's I mean we're we're getting there. I mean, we Ahsoka name dropped. Now we saw the space whales, so we're 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 making our way there. Yeah. Which, as I've said many times, if you want something to put in between the original trilogy and this new trilogy that would be a great thing to do yeah Hmm. he could carry that story and possibly honestly after the first order because i don't fully understand the timeline of the sequel trilogy it may take place in a matter of weeks i'm not sure (laughs) um so I, i i believe that episodes seven and eight take place in a matter of weeks yeah. Well, because episode, episode seven is like 24. It takes place in real time. So. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, hmm. I'd like to see uh, Werner Herzog again since, uh, you know, we saw Pershing. Maybe he'll he'll show up. Did he die? I don't think he died. Did he? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone die? It's Star Wars. Only. Only Amperu. I think he escapes. But who knows? My my memory of that is poor. Yeah. I feel like R5's kicking around. Anybody could be. That is true. Yeah. Um the one thing I will say I I do think we're gonna get is I I don't know if we're gonna say what but as as deeply as Matt feels that we're gonna get like a full Ahsoka uh, backdoor pilot, like in the middle of this episode, of this season. But I do think we're gonna get a hint towards that. And mm-hmm. the other thing, I I really feel like we're gonna get, and I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel very strongly about it. I think we are going to see Kira from Solo. Oh, oh! They brought her back in the comics, as we know. They did. They did. Yeah. And I feel like. One of the things that Dave Filoni loves to do is connect all the various pieces of Star Wars together. See, and I, I was going to say the the girl from Andor. Which one? The one from Bad Omens. The uh, the the one who was going through the mind torture last we saw her. Oh, okay. Oh, uh-huh. interesting. Okay. Um, I could see that. Yeah, I just think we're going to get cuz you figure Solo took place about 10 years before uh, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And this is taking place about 
10 years after A New Hope. Yeah. So there are certainly characters from mm-hmm. Andor and from this. And even, I mean, I think Andor season two is going to have a bunch of Obi-Wan characters in it. I think mm. we're going to see, mm-hmm. um, I've already forgotten all of their names, but like uh, <laughs> uh, Ice Cube's son. <laughs> I was like, uh, Obi-Wan? You and know, no, 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 <laughs> McGregor? No, there was, there was Ice Cube's son. Mm-hmm. Um, there was um, the the Inquisitor, the female Inquisitor that racist, sexist everywhere were hated because uh, she was a woman in black. Um, like the, oh, yeah, the the friend from I don't I, Janine. She's Janine from um, uh, Queen's Gambit. Sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> so Matt is great at telling you the other roles the Star Wars actors have played. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I am IMDb. I can't yeah. tell you <laughs> much um, about what you're watching, but but so I I think that like Obi Wan and Andor are going to have a little bit of crossover in that way. You're, you're going to see them be characters there, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of those characters from Andor or Solo whatever show up in a more Dave Filoni led project because Filoni just loves connecting those things together. Yeah. Um oh, oh you know what I just realized we didn't talk about it at all? The what? fucking Grogu flashback. <laughs> oh yeah. That was that was wild. How about that? <laughs> you don't even know the most wild part. I cannot wait to blow your mind with the most wild part. Alright, do it. No, first let's talk about it for a minute though. Here, um, oh, okay. okay. So, uh, you know, we get to see Order sixty six from Grogu's perspective, mm-hmm. and we all sort of thought that this was Grogu's origin story. And I believe Ahsoka might have even mentioned that in a prior episode, like a little bit about this. But we we see this full on, you know, Order sixty six take place, and we see Grogu escape with a. Um, with a Jedi. I'm going to say two things about that Jedi that are going to blow your mind, guys. Mm-hmm. Do you know who played that Jedi? I, I did see it, but I'm going to let you say it. Matt, did you see who played it? No. Who? I'm going to say the person's name, and I'm going to see if you know who that is. Oh, man. Okay. Do you know who Ahmed Best is? Hmm. No? Ahmed Best played... Jar Jar Binks. Oh my gosh! I I was gonna I was gonna speak Whoa. like him, but then realized that would be racist. That would be racist. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, but here's the part that's gonna blow your mind. There was a YouTube series in 2020 that was called the something like the Jedi Temple Challenge. I don't have the exact name of it here. Um, but I believe it's called the Jedi Temple Challenge, and it was a it was like Legends of the Hidden Temple for Star Wars. Okay. And it was hosted by Ahmed Best as this Jedi, as no. Keller and Beck. No. So this yes, th- this character has already appeared in the Star Wars Kids series on YouTube. Wow. Does that does that make that show canon? Kind of, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like how that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is oof. That's crazy. I did not know that. I am yeah. happy for Ahmad Best because... Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That guy suffered for bad writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was else. not his fault. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's crazy that after Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge, he is now an, a canon character. And what's crazy is we know he survived Order 66. That character could have a whole... like. It would not shock me 
if that character gets a, a series or something one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's just how Star Wars operates, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what, Liz, what did you think wow. of seeing that from the perspective of, of I, Grogu, seeing Order 66 from his, from his perspective? I, I thought it was interesting. Again, something else I did not expect to see um, at all. It, it, it was sad, um, and I was kind of upset that it, well, I guess this might sound terrible after I said that, but I was upset it was cut off. I feel like there is more for us to see. I don't know if you felt the mm-hmm. same way, um, but I, I feel like there's possibly more. It's one of those yeah. things where I could very easily see there being another half of that flashback, or that's all we ever get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is it just him thinking back to his 20s or are these things he's maybe repressed i wonder Hmm. i wonder that too if these like memories awakening in him um and where that will go because i think right now he's struggling with this question of identity is is he uh is he a muppet or a man is he a jedi yeah Yeah, muppet or a man (laughs) yep yeah i don't and I don't know which way he's going to go, and I don't necessarily know which way I want him to go. I mean, I don't want him to be one of these Mandalorians. Yeah. Yeah, th- man, if this is the way, the way sucks. <laughs> yeah, but again, like I I also feel like... I, I, I feel like the, this episode, though, kind of makes you understand them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You do see the respect and the compassion and all of that, and it it does it does taint you a little bit, not not taint. Not, it does the opposite of taint you. It it, it brings I, you it brings you over their side a little bit. It tea bags you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel as dirty as it would have felt before this episode. Mm-hmm. I well here, Brian. I have a question for you. Okay, as a father. What did that scene of Vizsla rescuing his son, but having to put that aside to that point in the rescue, and then even in being able to save him, can only knock helmets together? Right. No, I mean, like that. That that is brutal to to. For him to at first have to be like, well, my son's dead. Well, okay. To then, even in celebration, there's still this cold distance. Yeah, I mean... And that's uh, that's because of these weird, nonsensical customs. Yeah, I mean, yesterday I had to watch my son be rolled into surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, to not be able to kiss his face when he came back would have... I couldn't handle that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. I get it. Um it's not great, <laughs> but <laughs> but I do think that you see you see the appeal of this to somebody. Mm-hmm. Not not fully. I I'm still not signing up for this. Um, yeah, but you can and, see how D- Din, who was left, you know, in a cellar to die, mm-hmm. could definitely feel like there's no place in the world for him but that. Yeah. And and Bo is kind of in a similar situation right now, yeah. where she doesn't have, even though technically she still has a clan, she doesn't have a clan mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, 
It's a Kaino clan and name only. Clan and name only. <laughs> um, I mean, do I think she has the ability to like live and feed herself on her own? Yes. Do I think Din has that? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I think he's like a college freshman. Just he he know he knows that laundry has to go in a machine, but beyond that, it's a mystery. I mean, she had to show him how to eat soup. <laughs> last week uh, uh, you know. he, he needs he needs a leader whether it's a reasonable one or a cultish one he right needs yeah. A leader. Yeah, yeah 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 but she had to teach him how to make ramen essentially like, yeah. yeah ramen <laughs> bro you yeah. never had mandalorian ramen exactly yeah uh well but i'm ex- i'm excited to see where the second half of the season goes yeah i, yes. I am too i I feel like it's just unexpected. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird because you would think at this point in the season we'd have some sort of an arc we're mm-hmm. looking at. Right. But yeah. Yeah, it's Star Wars and we don't worry about that stuff. That is one of my fears before we wrap up here is just that I feel like like Matt keeps saying this. Like they can release these in any way they want to. I I wonder if I wouldn't rather have eight episodes about the Mandalorian story and then have a random episode drop in between this season and the Ahsoka season with the Pershing stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great little surprise yeah. to have out there. And they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could have put out a four episode series or even a two episode arc just called The Convert. Right. And done that. I don't know. I don't make these decisions. Somebody in San Francisco does. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We will return in two weeks with probably two very totally different episodes to talk about, uh, yeah. if history is any indicator here. <laughs> Prepare um, for more Jar Jar talk, but not in the way you think. Exactly. All right. Uh, and remember, folks, until next time, the Force will be with you always. Always.